You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. This isn't your average business podcast. This is the, the companion, companion podcast for the James Altucher Show. Hosted by me, Jay the Engineer. And me, Nathan Rospero, the post-production manager. So what we do is pretty much just say what we learn during that month from all the episodes. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, three steps behind you. I've had a, a wonderfully, intensely busy week in the land of uh, publishing. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, starting a new season right now, and, and there are lots of celebrities coming out with books for the holiday selling season. Oh, wait. Season as in new season of books getting, getting sold or like new season of books coming out? Yeah, it's like we have a calendar that goes in, in three big chunks. So mm. this is the, the books that are going to start going on sale between September and the end of the year are getting released now. So there's oh. lots of... so. All, all the celebrities who want to record all their upcoming memoirs, like people I can't say yet because it hasn't been announced. Right. But lots of all those celebrities, now that their books are like ready to print, they had the final manuscripts, they're all rushing to get into the studio to get their to get their stuff recorded. I'm totally new to this. I'm curious. Because mm-hmm. I, I only know like a tip of the iceberg of this because, you know, like we do podcasts, we know roughly when people are releasing their books. So give me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong. So people usually launch their book, release their book, sorry, in April and then July and August and then December. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, those are the beginnings of, of season. So you have like at, at HarperCollins, we have a selling season that starts in January, January to April. Okay. And then a May, May to August. So there's a lot of books that come out at May. Okay. And then there's a lot of, and then throughout the summer, because you get all these summer, everyone, all school lets out, everyone's going to the beach, book clubs, lots of, lots of reading. Oh. So there's a summer hump in there. And now this like September, August into September is the next wave of things that want to get on sale and marketed for the holiday season. Wait, okay. So did I, is, is different, different type of books come out differently or just any type of books usually come out at three chunks? With most big publishers, they have different imprints, like sub-record labels that are focused on their own thing to begin with. Right. So they're all putting roughly on the same type of release, but they're thinking about their selling seasons. Right. Because there's just so many books coming out, just like there's so many. It used to be when there were records. You know, you're, you're jockeying for space. Right. So it's all about getting enough lead time to get all the promotion because within the first two weeks or so, you basically have like two weeks once the once a book goes on sale to really capture people's attention because right. every week something else is coming out and it just drops off so quickly unless it's going to be a perennial seller, you know, like a huge Right, hit. so it is, is it proven like those, like those time when the books come out sells more? Is, is this like something that proven or is like people just... I Definitely, oh. yeah. I mean, our we have whole sales departments that plan out these things based on market research. What about books that come out in between? Do you think that do... Significantly less, or just slightly less. I'm just curious. I'm totally just curious. I it depends. Know. I mean, it's it's all about looking for an opening in the market. Right. You're trying to position it when it's going to be prime for that particular right. book. And every you know, every book, you know, every author in theory has you know a marketing director, someone that's a publicist, people that are working that are planning a date and planning the best press and marketing they can, just simply around around where they feel based on the market trends. Right. So I don't know if if there is a bad selling point. You don't want to have it at a hard time when 
things are hard to buy. Oh, people um, doesn't want to spend money then because they spend so much money for their kids and for for Christmas and Hanukkah and any other holidays. I have to mention all the any other holidays because I have to be inclusive. It's twenty twenty one. And oh, see this 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 is why I'm really curious. Like James always talk about you know self publish or whatever. So mm-hmm. based on your experience or based on what you know or you think, yeah. If I self publish, should I publish the same time as all the major publisher put out? You know, like like should I publish the 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 you know like like the casual chunks days or whatever it's called publish day? I think you would you would try to avoid any time that would be bad. Just the same, mm. just just the same as the traditional publishers. Right. You would want to avoid a bad time unless you had an angle on that. Unless right. you were gonna be like, I'm gonna put it out the week between Christmas and New Year's, where maybe people got some gifts and they have right. some cash, and here's and I'm gonna put it on sale, release it for a dollar, mm. you know, just for that week, so we can get a lot of, you know, if there's a a promotion angle that you could run, then there's there's always. There's always a best time to do something if you have an angle, right. if you you know. So, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's all it's all about your preparation. I think if you, when you hire professionals to try to best market position, they're going to be most familiar with conventional, you know, sales numbers and whatnot. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And also, like, I, I felt so ironic asking you all these questions, and I'm really interested about it because I never write any book, I never read any book, I only read comic books. Why not? <laughs> okay. I really read comic books, but this is really interesting because, like, I always, I always hear people talk about how to write, what is the writing, but what about? I feel like no one talk about the process of after what happens after finish writing the book, right? So like people are like, oh, finish writing the book, what what do I do now? Get cover, get design, put it on Amazon. But let's break it down. So if I finish my book and I give it to to editor or whoever, edit my book, I get it back, I get the cover. When should I start record the audio version of the book, the audio book? Because right now I felt like writing a book is great, but it has to tag on an audio audio version of the book, right? Yeah. What we found is that you want to have all editions of the book go on sale in the same day, so mm-hmm. so your readers are going to buy whatever version they're going to buy immediately. Mm. If it if you miss your on sale with an ebook or if you don't have all of your formats on sale at the same time, you're going to just lose a part of your market because of how many books are coming out. Unless people really? are specifically just the the initial hump, uh, right? right? The long tail of your book is going to be the long tail regardless because it's it's long. Right. But the initial hump, you want to be able to capitalize on your all your promotion, your release day. This thing is out. You know, people are probably aren't going to buy two or three copies. They're probably right. not going to buy two or three different formats. Right. So if you say my book's out and then they only listen to audiobooks and they go on Audible or go to their library and it's not there, then they're going to be like, oh, that sucks. And they will forget um, about it. Yeah. Ah, interesting. But you wouldn't want to record it until you have a copy of the – as close to the final as possible. Hmm. With major publishers – because of the throughput of books, often a final copy, the book is still going through the final proofreading changes right. when we start the recording right. just because of how close it gets cut to the uh, – often books aren't – even like James's book was done, you know, he had he had submitted a book. He got it, the title of the book, all this stuff, a long time ago, but we didn't have a final copy of the, the final, final, final text right. with all this stuff until after the recording yeah. was done. I remember the, the, the final text was uh... – there's a lot of final version of the of the books. I I, I remember mm-hmm. like they they re, they revise the books for like a month or two months actually. They constantly mm-hmm. re, uh, revising and it's like cutting really close to the release date. If I'm not mistaken, yes. right? It was like two months before the release date. Then you guys finally get into a studio or a month. I I don't mm-hmm. remember. That's right. Yeah, we normally the we normally deliver. We try to deliver a book um, from the warehouse or right. FDP if it's a e-agent um a month before the on sale right we set a distribution date right and so one month before is when we want to start shipping things out so everyone all the stores that are that have a physical copy right. if, it, if it's on cd or a hardcover they have it they've arrived in their warehouses they're able to get it on the retail shelves for the day right right but so yeah but it, it was that 
two months beforehand where there's still, you know, James is making changes to the text right. while he's reading it in the studio. He's going, oh, well, I already kind of said this over there. But can we cut that out of the book? You know, oh, like the editing happened? process was... Oh, wow. Definitely. It happens all the time when, especially when authors start reading their work aloud and, and listening to how right. how it comes out spoken instead of Wait, inside their so brain. So you guys really went back and changed the text? What about the books that already been published? Not published, but already printed. That's why it always, yeah, we got, we got it before it went to the printer. Oh. Um, and, then, and then if there's a later change, then they update the InDesign file and the Next time the book gets pressed, so like the second pressing, they'll announce we're making, we're printing however many, uh, 50,000 copies for the first printing. And that goes out on the release day. But, you know, books get reprinted is so, so they don't go out of stock. And you can make a change. You can just send your new file to the printer. That's happening. So they say, you know, don't trash anything that's already been out there. Right. But the next time you print it for the second pressing and onward, fix that typo, correct this thing. It happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is so fascinating. See, I have so much question about this because uh, I feel like this is a great topic. Uh, even though it's a companion podcast, we're supposed to talk about James after the show. Uh, fuck that, you know? We just talk about James after okay. the show, you know? But this is, okay, this is very interesting. So that I have so many directions that we can go. But uh, I want to sort of break it down. Like, so for people that just finish a book or people just mm -hmm. never read a book before or people that just curious about how the book writing process, we're not going to talk about the book writing part. The question is what happened after your book's finished, written by, by you or blah, blah, blah. If you were to break down the whole schedule after the book is written, maybe done editing, not, not through audiobook yet, not through the final, final version yet. What would you say the next few steps or process looks like? Like, so when the book is finished, written, you go to the editor and the editor would do a bunch of editing bring it back to you, you revise, and then what happened onwards? Well, you're skipping a lot of steps in there. Okay. And sometimes it depends what an, it depends what, what the role of your editor is. Right. An editor is always going to be your partner mm -hmm. in getting the book out the door. Right. It's, it's somebody, it's your, your number one top reader, and that person is going to make comments and, and changes in order for them it's it's a relationship where you're agreeing. It's like the producer. Right, you're saying, producer. I'm going to have this creative relationship with you. Mm. And it might end up, the book that comes back might be something completely different than what you went in on. And the editor for, for a publisher, your editor typically works for the publisher mm. um, and is acquiring the contract, buying the rights. And on top of being your creative partner, they are producing it. They're saying, hey, I, I want to... I, I want to bring your work in through us, and they're holding that the the budget. The editor is also holding the budget for a book. Oh, so edit the editor, pretty much like the producer and executive producer in that sense that like they will they will also a and R in a sense, right? That's exactly right. They're the producer and the executive producer yeah. of, the and book. also a and R because they have to go out and. And They're the stakeholder. Them. Everyone else on the editorial team, if it's a traditional publisher, is working for them. So the marketing and publicity department will be will be working directly for that portfolio right. of books that this editor is bringing in. They're kind of right. the head honcho in their own world. And at a small publisher, it's just one person, and they have limited distribution. Right. At a big publisher, there's lots of – it's a huge pyramid. So I'm just curious. So how often did um – uh, writer and editor has a, a sour relationship, like like as in like they they break up during the process. Is does that happen often, or usually the editor is just typically not? No, okay. So usually they would just stick with whoever the writer is. There's a contract involved. Okay. So you're signing on for a certain number of books. Mm -hmm. This is where the importance of literary agents and and that type of stuff, lawyers, the lawyers get involved in in the big traditional business, and why so many people don't want to. So many publishers don't want to accept unsolicited um, manuscripts is because uh, of the so much of the business is the business side of it, and, right, right. and working with not mucking up that process. And they have separate smaller imprints for for genre fiction, and right. you know that's where it's a lower stakes. Right. Um, so basically, I'm just curious. Like, so so did the how? So I I, I assume the editor would get thousand a thousand of manuscript. And they would just read it, or do they just like sub it out? Like, hey, you read this, and and you filter out what what do you think it's good, and then you give it back to me, and I'm gonna read all the other manuscript. Well, that's where you know your literary agent beforehand is also taking a big bet because oh. there's if you were an author, you would try to submit 
your writing sample and get a literary agent, right. get someone to book you that knows how to talk to these people because a literary agents like that kind of in that traditional model, these people, that gatekeeper for better or worse, right. you know, that literary agent acting as a gatekeeper is, is the gatekeeper into the publishing world. They're the right. people that are going to be submitting your, they know how to write a book proposal contract. They right. know they have relationships with editors right. and they know how to, you know, best sell their client right. and, and kind of get that. So, yeah. So first, you know, is finding finding a an editor who uh, finding an agent who would want to work with you, and then getting that pitch saying, "Hey, my person has a series they have in mind, and here's the one book, but we might want a three book contract right. because here's this arc, and here's how it could be, and here's all the comps and all that all that stuff that has nothing to do with writing, like how well could it get sold, how large a uh, writer's potential social media presence, all that stuff. Right. That's all thought about it in the business deal that starts it. Oh, wow. And sometimes a person will have their book completely written, you know, it's all done, and they're like, I have this thing, right? And right. I'm, and like we can do some tweaks, but it hears that. And sometimes people just have a proposal. Like James didn't have skip the yeah, line written yeah, he when he got proposal, his book. Yeah, he he had a book. He's like, I have an idea for the ten thousand experiments rule. And he so he took to his book agent and Suzanne Gluck. Yeah, talked to you know said here's how we can best do it. Uh, Hollis at, at right. Harper Business picked it up and and bought the contract and said we're buying a one book deal or a two book deal. Here's the thing. It's going to go on sale here. Here's how we'll market it. A paperback's going to come out a year afterwards. Like. Whether the audio rights and the ebook rights are going to be part of the deal, everything's deal de- like contracts and and business in in that model, and that's why these things take so long. And he complained about it right. because it's like he had a book in the form that he would typically put out to a self published format, right? And then it didn't come out until like a year later, right? Yeah, but it went through changes continuously until. Until it got shipped out the door, yeah, you know he was rewriting it the whole time. Yeah. Like there's reasons for for the re- the ways things happen. I remember that a month. James like, yeah, yeah, don't bother me. Don't book any 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 podcast on that month because you know we already have so much in the bank. I'm like, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I'm gonna write a book. I'm like, uh, does it mean I'm not working this month or? <laughs> But I mean, right. essentially, he still do all the ads and stuff. You know, I still talk to him, and then we still do a bunch of different things. But so I just want to clarify: like having your book published through a traditional publisher doesn't mean your book's gonna get big in any way. You know, if Not you have all. a if you have a good book, you have a good book. You know, you self publish. Self publish is the easiest way to sort of test out the water. You know, if it's sure. a good book, because you it, because like you say, like sometimes you know the, some writer already have their book written, and then they just do. Mm-hmm. Uh, make some tweak in their books and then they still can go through traditional publisher, right? That's right. That's a very, that's a, that's a great example. And, and that also happens. That's a, not a hack, but a new, a new road that's right. been forged in. Um, and it's, it's something that always existed, but in addition to book agents, big publishers will often look to small publishers or self-published works really? that have done well. They've done well. And it's on a small thing. We're like, Hey, we can make this on a broad scope. Um, we saw that, you know, Kamal Ravikant's Love Yourself Like Your Life Dependent. That was self-published and and it went huge. And then he had written another novel. He had had written a book for Hachette, you know, uh, uh, Rebirth. Right. And it did pretty well. And then the, you know, they republished and reworked his original book that had already been sold, took it off the market, expanded it. We did podcasts about this, you know. Um, But that's a great example. He did a self-publishing route. He got his thing out like he wanted to. Right. And now the version that you buy is completely different than the other one, but it's not. It's just... Yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's it's 2.0. Yeah, it's just brand on the thing. And also, like, the expanded version have more Mm -hmm. stuff in there. It's almost like if you play games, there's this thing called DLC. If you buy music album, there's this thing called bonus track. You know, it's almost almost like that. You know, that's what happened to Robert Cialdini's book. Like his book Mm -hmm. Influence came out a long time ago and then last year he relaunched it uh, and he rebranded it and put like more stuff in there, the the expanded version. And it's more practical. You know, sometimes the, the newer version could be better. So this reminds me a lot of a music publishing company. Yes, you it's know? exactly the same. It's, it's a very same? similar model. Ah, it's just, it's just it's contracts and advances. It's 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 exactly that type of thing. It's it's a performer. I'm just curious. You know? You're in the industry. How how many uh, self publishers that you see made it through a traditional, like got bought by a traditional uh, publisher? Totally the wrong person. I have no way to uh, know. 
I mean, I've I'd love to find out. I'd love to find that answer and and yeah. let you know the next time we talk. I'm just curious. I want that's really curious. To, I'm curious. Yeah, too. I, wonder I wonder if, if this could find out. This is gonna be like the next trend because because that way the book publisher doesn't have to have to like spend too much money or put too much too much uh, risk out there. It's just like it's just like and it's a like music nowadays. Yeah, it becomes know? a distribution deal instead of a instead of yeah. The, Right. Yeah, because like you say, I want to I want to blow this up to a big audience. Yeah, and also like so easy to you know uh, get a huge audience right now because you know Instagram, social media. As long as you didn't get canceled, you didn't get banned, you know you're fine. You know, just don't talk about the wrong stuff. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So get back to the process. Now we have editor, edited, edit everything, blah blah blah. Let's say the books is. Tell me, like, how many percentage the books has to be done before going to audio? Uh, uh you know, like uh for the Audible recording because I felt like it has to be very close because, like you said, like people still constantly write it, right? So like it, it, it I assume it's not hundred percent before you go to the audiobook. It's it's typically not. So right. the stage at which it gets to the production process we call transmittal. Transmittal, and this is when James sent his word doc of a book over to his editor. There's a date that he's supposed to send it by, a contract date, and right. it's like you're supposed to send us something by this date that. That you've worked with your editor with, um, like beforehand, to get to this point where the company is accepting it. You've you've transmitted the manuscript over, and it's it's not done. It's not hasn't been copy edited yet. It hasn't been proofread, but it fulfills your contract. It is oh. a book that talks about this thing. It's what your editor. Your editor is like, yep, we can sell this. Like we can turn this. You know, it's like you've created the play doh that you can you know or whatever. It's not done, but it's at that stage. So there's a transmittal stage. So we never go from transmittal because there can still be huge changes that right, happen yeah, at that stage yeah. within the process. Right. So it goes from transmittal, it gets sent to a copy editor, mm-hmm. and the copy editor is just going through and fixing all the basic grammar and punctuation and that kind of stuff. Right. And then you, that goes back and it gets sent to the first proofreader. And the proofreader is a another person whose job is just to read through the story right. and and make comments about like little small changes or like, oh, this like he's sitting down here and he was standing up on the last page. So continuity errors, all oh, those little okay. things that, that might have gotten lost. And and it gets sent mm-hmm. proofreader is different than uh market focus, right? Mm-hmm. So okay. So proofreader is just about the the error of the book. Not about like how the book should go. It's it's a mix. Okay. The proofreader is the proofreader is thinking. They're making suggestions about small rewrites okay. um, that could that could help the book get to its final stage. Right. And then the the focus group is like, oh, this book's gonna be good, or this. I don't know if there's gonna be ever a focus group for for books at all. I mean, the market. The, there's typically someone else handling marketing. That is. Um, at a traditional publisher, we there there are focus groups for there are focus groups mm-hmm. um, with the retailers that happen every season. So in in these sales, this is why it's structured that way. So um, so you would work with your editor for a book, mm-hmm. and you you decide with we're going to have an on sale date in this season, right? So right. Nova, so September to December, they pick a date. A few months before that season starts, they have a big meeting and there are sales reps from all the retailers there. Mm-hmm. So buyers, pe- Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, people, right. the people who are in charge of those accounts, they show up at the office. Wait. That's a benefit of having a publisher. They show up right. there and the editor, Hollis, in James's case, right. says talks about all the books that are coming out in the next four in the next four months that she's editing. And it's like gives a pitch. Here's James's book. Here's the thing. Here's who's going to buy it. Like, do you think we should change the name, the title to this? Do you think we should, um, um, you know, do you like do you like the proposed cover we have? Do you think we could get it to market better? Like, so they're asking the retailers. Them, the publisher is asking the retailers. Right. Are there changes that we could make based on the the metadata structure? How many pages it is? What kind of thing does it have? Pictures in it? What you know? How um or Whatever they give the pitch right. to the, the retailers and say, "Is this cool with you? Do you think we can sell this?" And they go, "Yeah." Or, um, "Tell me more about this aspect." And things change. So it, there's, um, so those are things that are happening, you know, in the launch before the season. So that's still like before we go into the recording studio. You know, 
they might be talking to retailers already, but the title of the book might change completely or the cover of the book. There's lots of stuff in flux as they're, as they're getting it to like closer to market. Do you think the, the focus group helps? I'm just curious. I'm totally naive. I never read a book. I, just I think so. I, I've never known it to not happen that way, you know? Really? Interesting. Um, but, you know, you see how that is and like a, how kind of a closed market system it is when you have, I mean, there really are gatekeepers in this model. You know, you have to get through a literary agent to get to an editor to get your book in front of the eyes of the people at retailers who are going to um, think if they're going to want to shelve them and how big the orders are going to be because they those companies have budgets and have to make bulk orders right. on on books, you know, months in advance. It's a very old school system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like it's almost like selling. Fuck! Oh, I, shit! I, I I don't know what's the analogy right here, but it's almost like you're selling a car. This is a car that we're gonna have. This is a computer we're gonna have. Uh, tell me which one you want to buy, and we're gonna double down on that on the car. Yeah, exactly. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side-by-side side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop. Really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do. But I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com 
slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. So after that, you go into the the recording studio and start record an audiobook, right? They launch the book. They try to get some market feedback. Right. All that time, the book's going through copy editing, mm-hmm. so they're removing all the bad punctuation and grammar stuff. Right. And then it goes through a few rounds of proofreading. Right. And so at this stage, it gets a little crazy because you're already in this time crunch right. where you've taken the market research, the copy editing, all the stuff. you got kind of a book. There's a professional proofreader that is reading the book and they're also sending copies to the author to read. So mm-hmm. James is reading it, and James, they're asking for author amendments. So the author is making their own kind of tweaks. And then it goes back to the editor, and the editor has to reconcile the things that the author wants or the things the author doesn't want the proofreader to do. There's two people working on it in tandem, and they're right. kind of like fighting to get all their stuff in to create the best product. Right. But that happens all the way up normally until a few weeks before the printer date. So around the what? second time, around the second proofreading pass is when we have felt based on historical research that we're in a place where the plot of the book isn't going to change. Okay. Where like a character name isn't going to change, hopefully, where they're not going to change the spelling of something, where a chapter name isn't going to change. I'm not going to call happened. him Billy anymore. I'm going to call him Tom from now on. I found it. We've seen it. We've seen weird things really? happen before. What? Okay, oh, okay, certainly. okay, okay. I have to ask, what's the, what's the weird thing that you have seen? I've certainly, I've seen complete, I've seen complete character names shift. Okay. Um, Do you know why? Or is that just I, like I don't always know why. Oh, I'm just curious. I'm like, oh, he was call- he, he was supposed to be called uh let's say Nathan. Why why did they change it to Ryan now? I wanted uh, yeah. because they can it could be it could name after a real person and then they can secure the copyright or or stuff like that. Yeah. I've I've seen people remove dedications in uh on oh, on reprints based on like like cut, cut people yeah. That Definitely. Sucks. Like I hate yeah. you now. You're not going to be in my book now. I wonder if that's going to happen we, to me. We often <laughs> we often do not in, include uh we often don't include dedications or acknowledgments if if the author is not reading not narrating the book in the audio edition simply because there's so many well one it's like these things change and it's really awkward and then two in acknowledgments you end up with hundreds uh, yeah, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred people who are not famous people whose names we have no clue how to pronounce right, right. like there's no like i can't look it up on youtube how you know this right. person who's just a family friend from 40 years ago says their name <laughs> you know <laughs> and <laughs> that's what if it's the, always what if the person's yeah. name has an exclamation mark <laughs> I, this, i'm just you like know? as I'm a hyphen gonna, Let's skip this unless. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 What well, was well, so it? That that makes sense. Try not to offend anyone. Uh, that makes sense too because I felt like it's so much harder to to make changes to the audio version, audio book, than traditional book, right? Because like in audio book means you had to look for audio files, you had to add because, um, I felt like I skipped uh, a a couple steps, but I just I'm just curious when you up, upload the audio files, it's not one big chunk, right? It's a lot of smaller chunks because it's either separate out by chapters or separate out by by section of the book. Correct me. Every, yeah, that's right. Every retailer packages audiobooks using their own player. Right. So all so typically you you are uploading one file per chapter unless right. you want it subdivided smaller. So you're you're dividing each file based on what it would be in the table of contents. Right. If if 
if there's one chat, if there's a sub thing in a chapter, then you might want to have that as a sub file. We make like at, at my day job, I create a table of content spreadsheet right. that accompanies the audiobook. So, so we can program that metadata into a database, oh, but yeah, that's going to be do, so much work. <laughs> It's it's all right, you know. This is the Excel um, work. Okay, so I think this is where it's got. So, so you, you you send stuff and then it gets right. packaged. So right, yeah. but you're there's lots and lots of files, and right. you. This is why we tend now in to use a central broker. Uh, we use uh, distribution a oh. distributor Ingram CoreSource. So we have one. So at my job, we push. We have our own database, our digital asset management database, and then we push those files to Ingram CoreSource, and Ingram has distribution deals with all of our retailers and all of our accounts and can just, they can permutate the files and the metadata however they need. We we give them our database and they and they turn everything into the needs for each publisher. So, like, like, like Apple Books wants one concatenated file. That's the what? entire book in one MP3 and they want it with timestamps and a metadata. Oh. That's some, and, and Audible, Overdrive, other retailers want things delivered Per one file per chapter, especially if you're going through ACX, that type of a right. platform. Yeah. So they all they all want different things. They all want a similar thing slightly differently, so they can, because they're big tech companies who have IT people that are they're system engineers on the back end. They're not they're not audio engineers, right? You know. Well, so so it's almost like CD Baby in a sense that like you push it to CD Baby and push it to all That's different. Right. Okay. So this is what I want to focus on, like because we are we're out of time. No, no, we are not we're not out of time yet, unless you have to go soon. But uh, I'm just curious because we are a podcast, and I'm always curious about audiobooks. And if you mm-hmm. write a book, a lot of time you never think about audiobooks, which you should. You should mm-hmm. always think about audiobooks. So now we're at the audiobook stage. What is the best way to record audio? Obviously, if you self-publish, you can secure the studio. Then don't go in the studio. Then what do you think is the best way to record at home? Well, is it is the author going to be recording the book themselves, or are they going to be hiring a narrator? That's a great question. So, like, if you do, which which do you find more success? I felt like if the author recorded books themselves, could prove more success because, like, oh, this is how the other sound they know what their book is about. They will narrate it in a way that they want the book to be. But on the other hand, narrator sounds better. Yeah, authors often feel that they're the best people to deliver their message. And I think that is very true when they're already really good at delivering their message with their voice. What do you mean? Like, James is very good at recording an audiobook because he knows how to speak and tell a story. He's he's a, a speaker as well as a writer. Not all writers are good orators. Some people can write brilliantly, fluidly on on the page. And when they are speaking it off of the page, it doesn't come across naturally because they just don't have that skill. It's more than just saying names properly. The other thing to be questioned if you want to be a narrator, the first thing you have to understand if you're going to narrate an audiobook, go sit in a closet wearing headphones for two hours while reading from an iPad. Just put put your book or any book on on a tablet, Mm -hmm. right? And sit there and read it aloud for two hours straight. While listening to your voice, right? Yeah. Yep. And do it as if you're performing. And if you're cool with it after that, imagine doing that eight hours a day, five or six days, and really get that done and really be able to act and that you're be going to be right. able to do that better than someone else. Like really go and practice doing that before you decide that you're the best person. Because it's startling, even myself, I, I listen to myself back on tape. I'm constantly <laughs> editing myself. Constantly. And I speak a lot more than people who have no experience speaking. Right. That is a prime thing that needs to be understood because otherwise you're going to end up with something that sounds like junk or something that sounds very pristine in audio quality but is not compelling to listen to. See, there's a reason why I didn't edit all the podcasts. I just send it to Nathan because I don't want to listen to my own voice. You know. Also, like we're not going to tell you what microphone to get or blah, blah, blah because that's going to be a whole new big discussion. We just want to touch on that recording a good quality of audiobooks is actually also very, very, very important. Like Nathan said before, like if you have the stamina and if the audiobooks has good quality, people will want to share it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so what do you think the best practice is when someone… So let's say if I am self-publishing my book, I only yep. have $20 in my budget after I bought all my equipment. 
what are the best practices when I'm recording an audiobook from like what room should I go into and what mood should I be in? First of all, find a quiet location. Something that's incredibly annoying is background noises that come and go, intermittent noise. So we always say to try to find an interior room. You're trying to cut down on the on the potential noise that's distracting from your voice. Right. A great way to also do that is to when you're purchasing a microphone, I recommend for home recording buying a dynamic microphone mm-hmm. or a handheld condenser. A lot of times you buy a, a big, open, expensive mic that wants to pick up everything and you don't have a sound-treated room or you have neighbors above or below or people running around and that expensive mic is going to pick up your voice really well and also pick up everything else really well. Yeah, so just just, just to clarify, when you when you go there and shop for microphones, typically there are two types of microphones out there, which are condenser microphone and dynamic microphone. Mm-hmm. The one that uh, Nathan suggested is dynamic microphone, which is less sensitive and more directional. And also, like when you get the handheld one, make sure you always get a, a microphone stand as well because you can't, you, you're not gonna hold. Uh, oh, well, the the reason why I say microphone stand mm-hmm. and not a tripod because tripod usually it's too far um, on the table. It's you, yeah, because you want to get as close to the microphone as possible. That's why I say a microphone stand because it's more flexible that way. You're going to put on some headphones and you need to be able to record yourself and find a spot in your room and listen to what's coming back so you can move around and find you don't want weird booming frequencies or or little weird things. None of your rooms, if there's not a studio set up, are going to sound the same. So you need to be able to to really hear back what's going in and understand if that sounds similar to the really good quality that you know you're able, are you able to achieve when you turn your microphone up to be loud enough is it super noisy or do you are you able to have a good clean signal that's quiet that you don't hear stuff when when it's turned up to the volume without you speaking one tip that you can do that is that let's say if you have audio editor just ask your audio editor if you he has an hour free or whatever, or you pay them for an hour. Just like, hey, let's do a Zoom. I just want to try out my positions in my closet and see which which positions you think is the best that you know mm-hmm. that wouldn't have all this uh, other issue. Okay, so so once once they got all set up and start recording, what annoys you the most during the recording sessions? I think noise is the worst because like because like the, the constant noise is fine, but like the 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 the, the noise that pop up randomly, it's the worst. Right. So yeah. just reducing, you know, a lot of it's risk mitigation going in. So you want to wear a soft cotton shirt or no shirt at all. You, anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to have a chair that doesn't squeak. Just right. anything that's going to remove anything that's going to make your editing harder. You know, like here's something that people don't think about, but having a wristwatch. A lot of people don't wear analog wristwatches anymore, but a ticking watch oh, will definitely right. end up in the recording. Um, any of those things. So listening to yourself, getting rid of all the little noises that might happen. And then inconsistent audio quality is is more annoying than noises. People not mm. staying a consistent distance from the mic or pick up sounding roomier. So like having once you get your setup. Mark down all your settings and understand it's not just the gear knob, what level it's turned to, but also if there's any switches on your microphone or it's the distance you're away from your microphone. So record record a snippet and have that to match the next time you go into the session right. because you can't, you're not going to get a big recording done all at once. So you have re-record the last page and listen back back and forth between what you did at the end of the day before and the beginning right. of the next section because you're going to notice that there's a difference in in your stamina between the end of a recording session and the beginning of the next one. Um, differences in slight sound between uh, mouth noise, like needing to t- take a drink of water or blow your nose, which one doesn't think about except for when you're listening back, you realize how little stuffy sounds or things can really... Um, cut through. You're recording in a medium that doesn't have any video. There's nothing else to distract you. There's nothing else to take up that space. You know, full attention is being put on mouth noise. Right. So keeping a consistent setup where you know why your recording sounds the way it does and how to achieve it over and over again. And right. not, you know, if your mic is in one position and you set up 
but then you decide to record the next day and you're sitting three feet away from the mic, even though the mic's in the same position, it's not going to sound that way. Understand that microphones, right. you know, become more bass sensitive as you get closer. In addition to becoming louder, that there's a, there's a element of physics called a proximity effect or a bass tip up that makes microphones more responsive to lower frequencies when they're closer to the membrane. Well, welcome to the companion podcast Tech Talk, Audio Tech Talk. You know? <laughs> it, is. it is. Yeah, they, because those are really, really important because like if you, if you, if you start recording at a certain distance, always keep it at a certain distance. That's why I say like even before you know you're going to start recording your audiobook yourself, make sure you, you start practicing. You know, start practicing how you react in front of the microphone. Because practice makes perfect. Like I, I don't always like that. I, I don't always just stay in front of the microphone. I used to move around a lot, but I practice a lot. You know, I go to podcasts, I talk to myself, I play game, I use my microphones, you know, just so just so I know how my microphone works. You know, those are those 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 are really, really important. Okay, so so let's say when the recording is done, mm-hmm. what should they think about before they send to the audio editor? And also having an audio editor is very, very important. For your audiobook, there's no way you can edit everything by yourself. You could, you could. It's gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna burn out by the end of the process, and you're gonna hate yourself for the rest of your life, and then you're not gonna want to write a book anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So there, there are three or four other roles that could take place in the audiobook process, and sometimes these roles are held by the same person, and sometimes they're not. It's sometimes helpful to have a director or a listener. Right. Right. If you don't, if not a director in in the session, having somebody that you trust as a creative foil, so you might call it a producer, someone you know, just a trusted listener to give you feedback, and that might be your editor. You might trust your editor to give you um, performance feedback after the fact. But you want to have someone who you have a trusting relationship that they're not just trying to be a yes man, and they're actually going to work with you to make a good product. Right. Um, so your stakeholders are going to be the director or your other creative foil in there your editor who's a sound editor that understands um what an audiobook is supposed to sound like the typical pacing is somebody who listens to who who is a listener of voiceover of podcasts and knows what things in headphones sound good and bad and what is possible to edit and what is not possible to edit what's better to ask to be fixed and then you have a third person in there hopefully an independent person who's proofreading and they're listening to the edited files. Sometimes that's your producer as well. Someone listening back to the edited files, looking for word changes, misreads, issues that came up during the editing right. that need to be fixed. And then a mastering engineer, which also might be the editor. They're a person who understands the finishing touches and how to deliver your files to the specifications of retailers right. so that they won't reject your book when you deliver it to them. Yeah. And also, like I have to mention, like recording audiobook is not just about reading. Right, you have to one. You have to put emotion. It needs to be and, compelling. And, yep, it has to. It, it's a creative process. It's not just sit there and read. And then there's a lot of different process, uh, different format that this can go to. Let's say, let's say if you if you like James wrote a skip the line, he didn't just read. Uh, sorry, choose yourself. Choose yourself mm-hmm. is a great example because he didn't just read choose yourself. He narrates it, or he has someone to ask him questions, almost like doing a podcast himself. Yeah, he created a whole separate. A subsidiary format for that. Well, that's pretty cool too. Yeah, but it's yeah. good to have. Yeah, uh, I think a lot about suspension of disbelief as as being um, very important in audiobooks. And what do you mean? It's by a, it's, it's a, yeah, it's important across all medium. But suspension of disbelief means you are listening to what you're listening to, what you're reading. You you believe you believe you're in that world. You're not constantly thinking, "Oh, I'm reading a book." You're you're like you're involved in the story. And people with movies, I mean, in every format, people are thinking of it. But as an audiobook, an audiobook being a performed voice recorded version of a book, that's where you need to have all your shit together because everything can be well written in the book. But if you have a poor performance, if you're like if there are character voices and you can't do it well, if you can't be cohesive, if if you're if you don't know how to if you're saying the wrong names of proper nouns that you've written in your book, like showing that you're not an expert, you don't really know what you're talking about. If you're talking about place names a lot, but you don't know what that place is actually called, you end up sounding like an idiot. It's yeah. just whatever is going to break the audience's spell and and make them be like. Oh, wait. 
Yeah. Yeah. The yeah the 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 most famous example would be Benedict Cumberbatch pronouncing penguin. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. All of a sudden, you're thinking about the person performing instead of the thing, right? Right. That's right. that's you don't. If that happens, if all if you're focused on the performance instead of if you're focused on how the performer is performing as opposed to what you paid the media you paid to enjoy, right. you done fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So so that's very important. And also, like always, find new creative to narrate your books. You know, like. I get it. Like if you wrote a novel, I felt like novel is a little bit hard to narrate. I felt like novel has to has a couple people to narrate. You know, like as for novel, you can have narrator. Narrator done best when narrating the the a novel. You know, or is it fiction? Fiction is fake, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or fiction books. You know, but nonfictions is best if you narrate it yourself because you've done the research, you read the book, unless you ghostwrite. I don't know. If you're, I think yes, that what you're. It, Author narrated nonfiction can be the best if the author can compelling read if they right. but really do it. Make sure not just that you you aren't the best person just in your head, but you still sound like the smart person you are who wrote this book when you're listening back to the audio of yourself right. and yeah. that you're not going to make a fool of yourself. Right. Like there's no reason to. Yeah. Also if you if you were to hire a narrator, then hire Anna Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so okay. After mastering and after everything, uh, so let's say if the writer did rewrite some sections, so it mm-hmm. so it sent back to to the editor and they cut stuff out, and then do they still go into the studio after? It depends how many times it takes to get uh, happy right. with the final product. Yeah, yeah. And but also, you might send back and forth a number of times until until the. The, all the corrections are fixed. Yeah, and also this happened to the to to our session before. Always have a backup. Always, always have, have backup. backup. Oh, when you record everything, always have a backup and make sure you if you record yourself, make sure it's recording, please. Make sure you hit the button. Make sure you and there's um there's a company called Zoom that's different from Zoom software. Mm-hmm. Um they make um handheld recorders and whatnot that are great. Most of them have it's, microphone it's the same company, inputs. no? No, they're different companies. Really, I thought it. Yeah. I thought it was the same company, different division. Yeah, different uh. companies. Zoom, the company that makes um, podcasting and audio um, recording equipment, for just a hundred dollars or so, you can buy a very good recorder that is recording independently to an SD card. It doesn't matter if your hard drive breaks. It doesn't matter. You have a separate recording that's getting split off before the computer, not just backing up your hard right. drive. Having a redundant recording. Right now, we're doing this podcast. Jay's recording his audio on his computer. I'm recording my audio on my computer, and we're recording in the cloud the combined Zoom thing. So if one of them, if, if something breaks, we have a, another copy already. And yes. it's so easy to not fuck up just by making sure that you plug into a backup recorder and have a second thing running in parallel as opposed to after the fact. Hey, after the fact's no good. Yeah, you, you after say the fact's it's not e- a real backup. You say it's easy. Trust me, that's that's a lot. It's easy fuck to fuck up it up too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's easy on both ends. Yeah, because like, the the words it would be like after a recorder and then come back, you're like ah. A month later, you're like, ah, crap! I don't have this. I have to record this again, and you totally lost the space. You know, it's very hard to get into the space, uh, you know, anymore. So, okay, after everything, after we write, it costs it costs a lot less to get a backup the first time. Yep, and uh, so after everything, after you know, after uh, after the audiobook is done, after we write, it get pushed to the platform, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, then- you just you 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 have after it's all done. Then right. you have either through your publisher or independently through a broker worked out a distribution deal with a company or a number of companies. Okay, so this is this is this is this is a fascinating question. If Where I'm, what stores are you going to sell it? That's yeah, the question. yeah, yeah. Because like if I'm independent, if I self-publish, I I don't know about finding a distributor. You know, like mm-hmm. is there any like software out there like like like. Like CD Baby sort of thing that I can. Yeah, so there are a number use. of companies that that do this stuff really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, Audible is the biggest retailer in and of itself, yes. and they have a a very well established um, independent publishing platform called ACX, 
Yeah. Uh, they started a number of years ago, which is both the marketplace for narrators and authors to buy and sell rights and um, and to work with one another. And also it's a distribution platform for people to sell their books in, in the same way that like CreateSpace, you know, oh, wait, does thought, on the Amazon. I thought that only blasts to Audible, right? It doesn't blast to uh, any other platform? Well, that's the thing. So through, you can have an exclusive deal through with Audible through ACX, or you can have a non-exclusive deal. One can mm -hmm. make that choice. Right. Um, you can use the ACX platform exclusively or non-exclusively. If you're using it exclusively, then Audible, then they they pay you a higher percentage royalty share on the sales. Uh, I think something as high as 70%. They say if you whoa. do... Yeah, which is great. Um, yeah. and, and it's more of a 50% um, royalty model across the board for most retailers if you're doing a non-exclusive model but you're you're widening your net so right. there are different brokers um there's company findaway mm -hmm. that does this and um there's, there's findaway.com yeah so there okay. are a number of these brokers that um that are companies that like akin to cd baby who take a small fee but they act as as the front platform to receive and then push everything to everywhere. And in a lot of cases, they'll handle your uh, accounting and royalty payments if you have separate rights holders. So if you right. had a co-author or if you had someone else that, that needs to receive money on a recurring instead of an upfront, um, these are dashboards you can use. But generally, you're, you're going to end up with a 50% royalty share, something in that market. But you'll, you'll be able to tap into the library market through OverDrive and a lot of... Um, I think hitting the library market is a very important way to, especially for nonfiction texts, to get your book around, be able to get people to not use their one Audible credit a month to buy it, but right. getting getting distribution that's going to end up in their public library through the Libby app or through OverDrive, which people are more used to using now and, uh, right. than previous years. Oh, interesting. So, okay, so once it's done, when you, so when you, when you upload to SES, you have to set the publish date. So you want to set the publish date the same as your book's go and sale. Right. It's, I mean, having one big marketing push for all editions of your book make the most sense. So you, if you're going to pay someone for marketing, promotion, plan a big huzzah, you might as well make sure everything's available on that day so you don't have to keep trying to create buzz for your book. Right. Okay. So is that the final step? Once, once that go on sales and that's it. And then you you just need to get a nonprofit to like purchase a hundred thousand copies of Wait, your book. Why? So that, because this is how political this is how political organizations get their get their um uh people on the bestseller list. So like a, a famous example is is Donald Ooh. Trump Jr. had a book come out, I think during twenty twenty, and the Republican National Committee or one of the super PACs basically bought tens of thousands of copies of the book that they were then giving away as as like gifts for people who donated but it had the impact of of on that first week of sales getting a huge bulk amount of sales through one thing which shoots them to the top of the New York Times bestseller list so they're yeah. gaming their way to the top by having by having a, a shell company buy copies of their book they're cheating their way to the wait, top wait, of the wait, list. Wait, wait, wait. So if I'm self-published how, how can I do this? Like You just got to get a rich person. So like James is a millionaire, right? Is he a millionaire? I didn't know he's a millionaire. Oh my god! He should pay me more. What? So if you could convince James that it would be beneficial that you're on the New York Times bestseller list, you right. could self-publish a book and be like, James, can you, through some shell company, blah blah blah, the Choose Yourself list, buy enough copies of my book that that you're gonna uh, get me on the charts? Right. And make a compelling case to someone with money to to go uh, scam you up there. Did they? I, did, I don't did condone that really it. Help? Yeah, does of course. Being, being, that's does that's being why. List help? What? I mean, like yeah, I don't know. Definitely. Like I, 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 I being I, I, being a New York right. Times, but there is not one book that James has that does not say Wall Street Journal bestselling author on the cover, right, along right, with his right, name. Right, right. If it didn't matter, he wouldn't put it on there. Right. People want to know have something that says. Oh, this person must be good because they're because they've made it to the top of this list that we right. call a, a list of record. Right. I, I guess there's there's also the the credibility bias, right? Like that's right. People that see that, are like, but there's okay, a huge there's a huge right. gamification to the system that I can know. be done. Yeah, it's all about the money. It's all about it's the money. It's all about the money and the politics. You know, like, mm -hmm. hey, maybe I can get Donald Trump to buy my book. You know, you know, because you know people hate him, so like he's it's gonna be 
hot news and it's going to be on the list. So, you know. Well, like, well, like Don Jr. for the rest of his life, he will always be able to say New York Times bestselling mm-hmm. author Donald Trump Jr. Right, right, right. No matter what he writes, he can put that. And like, so they got it out of the, they like, they took care of that while, while that person is, was at an apex of his political, you know, right. cur- you know, to date his, the, the most politically, um, publicly active, you know? Right. Yeah, and also like you don't have to be on the list for a long time, right? Just just once. Just have a hit for one just week. For, for just that's one it. week. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Uh I'm I'm on there. Holy shit. And so what's next after after being on top seller list and then oh and then F- just go Fix on it podcast, in the review. Right? Fix it in the review. Yep. Fix fix what? Fix it in the review. If there's anything messed up in the book, you fix oh. it in the, you 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 get you tell the person I'm just kidding about this, but <laughs> <laughs> you pay off the person reviewing it, and then they write a good review, and then people buy it anyway. All the time. I mean, I think that that probably I've I have no I'm not involved anyway in book sales, um, right. only book production, and uh, so I'm just bullshitting. But I but felt I'm like sure, ha- I'm sure like it sounds yeah. like payola, you know? Yeah, it, it could happen in any industry. Yeah, you know, it, 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 could, it has happened in every industry, so I'm sure yeah. it happened in book publishing. Yeah. Also, like sometimes you don't pay for them to write for you. It can be like. Hey, we are friends, right? Do you want to write a good review about it? You know, you're good yeah, friends, blurbing. you know. Blurbing. Yeah, yeah. And I buy you some, some, you know, PS Five or hey, you have a kids, you know, only money, you know. That's you know, you know, you know, bribery comes in any form, you know. It depends on your uh, on the intentions. That's right. So, yeah, so that's great. And then I think I think right now isn't the best way to push the book, isn't it? The going on the podcast, like coming onto the companion podcast or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes yeah. it is. Yeah. So yeah, so that's great. Holy shit. I thought I thought we gotta do a whole company podcast for, for the gyms out of the show, but I feel like this we, is more we didn't interesting talk about it at than, all. Yeah. We, we did talk about what we learned for the past week. I think we'll we'll, we'll include the past week for the next one. But this is this is very interesting. So if you're out there, if you're writing a book, if you think about writing a book, if you don't want to go to a gatekeeper, so like as we realized, there's a couple of ways to do it. If you want, mm-hmm. if you don't want to go through a gatekeeper, write a book first, self-publish, get however much exposure that you can get, make like, you know, like just have a shit ton of people buy a book or get a shit ton of um of of followers, and then you know if the book and then and then I'm sure once you write a book, you will have a have a connection to a book publisher. Or whatever, and then you're like, "Hey, see, this is my book. It came out this time. This time, I got got sold this many. You pitch them, and then maybe they will they will want to buy it. Once they buy it, you know, you get more money, or or not. Who knows? And then you know that that's a good. I felt like that's a, probably the best route to go. Uh, go past the the gatekeeper, right? It depends if your goal is to make a living as a writer. Right. There are lots of reasons to do lots of creative things, and what you've just explained, and what I've we've spent the past hour and a half explaining, are ways that traditional books and self-published books um, kind of intersect, and mm-hmm. the ways to do that if your goal is to make money and get attention, which is the industry that pays me to work in it. Right. But there's also very legitimate. Um, non-commercial reasons to do things like just wanting to be published or I mean just getting your voice out or wanting to work with an editor because you like who else they've worked with right. even if it's not going to get you money just being able to achieve achieve your goals as a writer it's not always about about Ooh, sales even right. um you might want to write something without trying to you know market yourself and just just because you like writing things right. and want to get it out right i think i think that's right too also i felt like it, it it's definitely a legitimate reason to write a book as a name card. So like you wrote a book mm-hmm. in the topic that you believe in, like, hey, I'm an expert in ex- expert in this topic and this is my book, read it, see if you like it or not, you know? Exactly. The spoken wheel approach in that regard, yep. cement yourself as an expert, get your ideas down in a format that's consumable and you can yep. instantly hand and be like, yep. here's my ideas, read them at your own leisure, but you, like they are, I do have actual ideas <laughs> right. and I've written a whole book about it. So if you have an idea about any books, just write it. And, and you know, like, like, of course, you know, this podcast is not, we, we didn't tell you how to write a book. We, we didn't say like, uh, if you want to know how to, how to write a book, you know, James has a couple, a couple uh, uh, episodes on the James Artichon show talk about um, self-publishing. You can write all those books. This is, this is just us talking about the process 
what happened after you have a book, what happened when you after you write a book. Yeah, the production so, so process. You, yeah, to 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 really success. I, I wouldn't say success. To 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 write a good book, to you should really know how to how a process works, so you wouldn't get like you wouldn't get confused, or or if any agent wants to like sort of like you know lie to you or whatever. At least you know how the process like, and also also we focus on how the audio section audio book should sound or should be, and what you should do, which is really really important. Uh, which is something that I really care about and Nathan care about because this is what we do, you mm-hmm. know. And if you have any questions, uh, I don't know, Nathan, you you didn't you still have no Twitter account next time, can reach out next to. week. I'll be next back. week. Yeah, next week or two weeks from now, you know, Nathan's gonna have a have a Instagram account or, or Twitter account. And you if you if you have any audio questions, you can reach out to me and ask me, you know, on Twitter. I'm at. J A Y underscore Y O W zero seven J Yao and I always tag James on everything so you will see me and James um, all the time. Um, yeah, this is great. I I I I didn't expect it to be this way. I I, I came on. I'm like I'm burned out. I just want to talk something else other than James. You know, no one talk about no one want to talk about James anymore. No, right. this is we love James. <laughs> but but yeah, this I think this is great. I think this provides a lot of value to people that already wrote a book and. Um, and like, oh, want to get it produced? Yeah, yeah want to want to want to get it produced, or what's the next step? Uh, anything to add, uh, Nathan? It's great seeing you, buddy. Uh, it's great seeing you too. I miss you. I miss the beard. Yeah, it's coming yeah. back. It's coming Slowly. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to you have to go to uh, uh, winter time. So yeah, no exactly. shave. What's it called? No shave. Mo- Movember. 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 Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, till next time. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, if you have if you have any questions, tweet at. Jay Autocher, you know, like if you think this is great too, that Jay Autocher say how good of a job that we do, so he will appreciate us more. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.